Welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio, broadcasting on WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasting on the World Wide Web at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm Bob Harper. I'm Danny Slater. And today's program is produced by producer Noah. Uh, listeners are, as always, invited to call the program at 412-268-9728-89728 on campus at Carnegie Mellon University. And uh, we're going to also uh, try out a new high-technology uh, way of communicating with our listeners uh, today, which is to we've set up a uh, chat room on AIM, uh, if you know how to use uh, the uh, a- uh, the uh, AOL instant messaging. There's a uh, chat gr- uh, chat room called Left Out, which is uh, capitalized left out, two words, space in between. So just the two words left out under AIM. And if you're, you're welcome to join the uh, chat room and uh, jump in with whatever other listeners join on. And uh, any topics that come up in the chat, we'll be happy to uh, uh, to take account of them when, uh, on the, in the program on the air. So that's another way to reach us rather than electronic mail. So use the AIM left out chat room to get in touch with us. Or, of course, you may always call and be on the air at 412-268-9728. So uh, just an announcement, that uh, mm-hmm. a reminder to all of you to listen to Democracy Now! at 8 a.m. Uh, weekdays mm-hmm. at, right here on WRCT 88.3. Bob and I were just talking before the show that uh, it's increasingly becoming the case that uh, uh, it's one of the few news uh, news programs that we can stand to, to watch anymore. Um, listen to, uh, yeah. e- e- Listen to. I mean, NPR is, 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 is becoming increasingly... Um, Intolerable. E- yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I just want to remind our listeners of that that resource that they have available from uh, from WRCT. So uh, we got a bunch of uh, topics to talk about today, and um, uh, we don't have a guest, but uh, we'll be playing an excerpt from an interview um, uh, later on in the program. But uh, why don't we start with the um, the hottest scandal going, the U.S. attorney firing scandal hmm. uh, that's just uh, unfolding. It's kind of getting hotter and hotter all the time, it seems, uh, with the daily revelations of emails and other strange things happening. Um so uh I guess uh the, the the sort of the I mean just the the outward uh, information that we now have is that uh, Gonzalez was caught in another lie because uh an email one of the emails that was re- released uh contained a a, a, a a just a, a you know a reminder of a meeting that he that he attended with several other high level people discussing the, to discuss the firings of these these US attorneys um and this is uh after he denied under oath before Congress that he had any involvement in any role at all in this whole process so now he's trying to, to to nitpick his way out of this 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 mess in, in a Clinton-esque uh, depends on the, what the meaning of is is kind of way uh, to to uh, to may act like he he's still uh, you know on the up and up. So uh, that's one of the developments. The other thing was uh, one of the. Um, so that was on Friday. It was a late afternoon document dump was revealed. Oh really? Okay. Yes, on Friday afternoon, yeah. uh, along with another story I know that you're going to bring up in a few moments. Uh, in which the uh, Bush administration admitted that, after all, uh, well, quite honestly, there's no other interpretation of it, uh, that Alberto Gonzalez deliberately lied to Congress, uh, talking about his involvement in the U.S. attorney firings. The evidence is there, and yet he's still in his job. He's doing doing a heck of a job, I would say. Yeah. The other little revealed uh, information was that uh, Monica Gooding, uh, who is the Justice Department's White House liaison, uh, has apparently been called or is she going to be called to testify but she's decided to take the fifth uh, rather than actually uh, actually say anything before congress so uh that will be very interesting to see how that unfolds uh because uh you uh 
this may be a kind of a, a, a way for her to get um, get immunity so that she can testify. Right. Um, so this is a current speculation uh, because because well, the whole issue here is um, the, 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 the crime, if there are any crimes involved, it's, uh, it's crimes of perjury because uh, it appears that Gonzalez deliberately lied to Congress. And uh, that in itself is the crime. The rest of the firings is a little unclear. It's an ethical, it's a very serious threat, a very serious uh, breach of ethics and, and, the, yeah. and how our government is administered, right. how justice is perceived and in this country. breaking traditional ways of doing things Absolutely. in grotesque ways. Uh, so the, it's my not clear it was illegal, is, though. So my I mean, point, exactly, it's not clear that that was in itself illegal, but lying to Congress most definitely is. And if they lied to Congress so quickly, uh, and so, and you, you saw Gonzalez a couple of weeks ago, went before Congress, oh, absolutely, it was all performance-related, you know, grinning, smiling, Republican liar was going in front of uh, Congress. It was all a matter of performance-related. There's nothing to this. Uh, you know, I guess it's uh, just the liberal media as usual, trumping up something out of nothing. Um, and um, and then slowly it comes out with uh, several document dumps. Now the most recent yeah, one on so, Friday. So but this uh, the woman, uh, her name again? Could you say Monica Gooding? Monica Gooding. That's right. Or Goodling? Gooding. A good. No. Uh, G- G- Goodling. Goodling. Yeah. Goodling. Who um, uh, has now taken the fifth? So the thing that's interesting about this is uh, she's an underling. She's an assistant at Gonzalez. Uh, there's no allegation, certainly from her point of view, she's not previously testified to Congress, to my knowledge. So, so there's no could, allegation that she's done it meant anything criminal. So taking the fifth, you know, implies that something about her testifying could incriminate herself in weird. a criminal proceedings. And of course, in the Fifth Amendment, specifies that you're not uh, required to yeah. uh, testify against yourself, uh, incriminate yourself, and so uh, in any kind of a criminal charge like that. So one wonders. So the speculation, as you were saying, moment ago is that what she's really doing is signaling to Congress, to the Judiciary Committee, to grant her immunity and to, quotes, force her to testify yeah. and to squeal by saying, okay, you may want to plead the fifth. Instead of pleading the fifth, we'll grant you immunity, but we want you to talk. Yeah. And it's possible. It's possible. I mean, that's there's also a, the, fond, a fond wish of mine. I hope yeah. that's true. And there's all the the, 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 the email mm-hmm. dump had some big gaps in it. I mean, yeah. week, weeks in which there were day no gaps. Funny that, eight, that number 18 haunts the Republican yeah. liars, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, so so, one of the things we were talking about on the way over here was this whole notion that Gonzalez didn't know every single detail of this whole process and wasn't involved in every nuance of it is preposterous. And yet he's creating this complete facade of I was not involved at all. And, um, I mean... No, his secre- his secretary like got up on the wrong side of the bed and decided to fire all those attorneys. Yeah, right, attorney. right. It's, it happens. I mean, you know, people have a bad day, Danny. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just what happens. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But what's even more incredible is the way in which uh, this uh, nothing has happened. You know, Gonzalez is still in his job, as far as I know, unless it's, he's resigned the last few minutes. Uh, but to my knowledge, he's still, he's still in the chair. He's still the attorney general. He's still the chief law enforcement officer in the, yeah. of uh, the United States, which is uh, just astonishing. But really, to be honest, it's not astonishing because we've seen all of this develop for mm-hmm. years. And, uh, well, it would be very interesting to see how this plays out. Um, the other thing that came out of the document dump on Friday was from the Pentagon. And I know this is something oh, you the want to talk about, which is the Tillman story. Yeah. Many of our listeners will know about this. Um, the details of this are long and sordid. But what is um, the main outline, you uh, recall, is a very... Uh, 
an extremely likable and admirable young fellow who had an uh, NFL contract, wasn't it? Uh, You know, took took the time out, turned down the NFL contract in order to serve with his brother in Afghanistan, as it turned out, because he felt it was his duty. He was a corporal in the army. Um, he was shot in Afghanistan by friendly fire. His the entire story was absolutely, totally fabricated and repeatedly. Well, not fabricated. that story. No, the, the story. The story that, the story that, that came that up was with told. another story. The story yes. that was told. Yeah, that's what I should say. Not only to us in the general public, which is bad enough, but directly to his family. Uh, came up with a complete falsification of, of what had happened. There were three different investigations. Finally, on Friday, the uh, Inspector General report uh, came out, again, a 5 p.m. Friday document dump, um, saying that, uh, outlining in detail everything that is wrong, finding fault with about nine different officers, including four generals. Um, there are lots of questions. It goes all the way up. Now, you and I both know this goes all the way to the Secretary of Defense, if not further, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, this was in, uh, 2003, uh, that the, or was it 2004 when he was killed? 2003 or four? I can't recall. I'll have to check that. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, in my opinion, uh, orchestrated. But here, here is the, here's the interesting thing is, um, that the inspector general found no evidence of a cover up, which is absolutely preposterous. Because their findings, or for example, they destroyed evidence. They burned all of his clothing. They uh, burned, burned and destroyed all of his personal possessions. No evidence from what had actually happened was available because they had, they had, they had burned it. They had completely falsified the story. They came up they with made up with they, made they, up they, completely fabricated statements that he supposedly made in his radio. The statements he made in his radio were, you know, I'm I'm Corporal, you know, Tillman and uh, Patrick Tillman, and I'm from the U.S. Army. You know, stop shooting at me. And they instead turned it into, you know, Audie Murphy, uh, some sort of ho- cheesy Hollywood propaganda film made by Frank Capra in 1943, uh, in which uh, he was uh, leading the charge up Porkchop Hill trying to take out the gooks or something. And it, it was uh, unbelievably, but my point is, is that they completely fabricated the story. They fabricated the story. But there's no cover-up? What, what mm. are you talking about? Yeah. What are you? What, it, it's absurd. The, the whole thing was orchestrated, planned, and a deliberate lying. So uh, this morning on, uh, on National uh, Pentagon Radio, I heard on Morning Edition there was uh, uh, an interview with his mother, who was really quite irate. And uh, one of the things she was criticized for was being rude to the uh, military officials. They met with her yesterday to tell her yet another, uh, yet another. Um, uh, a pack of lies mm-hmm. about what really happened. The latest, this is, would be the fourth time now that she's met with the military in order to get the true story. Um, and she told them that everything they tell them is lies. She straight out says everything she sa- they say is lies. And and she's extremely, of course, can you imagine? Mm-hmm. She's extremely angry about it. I mean, I, so it I can hardly it, imagine. Yeah. I can hardly even uh, calibrate, I mean, the fury that she must feel. And so it's a very... Um, it's a very uh it's a very uh interesting story to look at because it shows the pervasive top to bottom deceit within the uh Bush administration in every degree in every dimension i mean look we you know the if you look at the report there's a lot of details about a current what they currently think through the inspector general report of what happened he was killed by friendly fire i don't think there's any allegation that it was a murder i mean it was simply you know, you, there may have been some negligence or may have been some failure to follow procedures. I, right. don't, I don't really know, but it certainly, as far as I know, there was no, you know, malicious intent. So, you know, this kind of thing happens. This is terrible. But to turn this into a completely fraudulent story in which they actually...
actually fraudulently awarded him posthumously the Silver Star. Now, not to, not that I, you know, it's not a matter of, of course, we have sympathy for 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 him and his family, or for his family particularly for having been killed in such tragic circumstances. But you know, but these things like a Silver Star are supposed to mean something. Yeah, They're supposed to be part of the reality-based community. And the Inspector General, uh, the Inspector General report. Excuse me. Explicitly says that the grounds for that should be reviewed. Although I really doubt they'll rescind it, and I'm not even advocating that they should. But there should be some, you know, what his family wants most clearly is uh, is for the truth uh, to come out about what yeah. is really so, going on here. So another interesting uh, thing. Uh, thanks to one of our one of our listeners. Well, let me mention the interesting thing was that the um, turns out Tillman was a big fan of Chomsky actually, and was really opposed to the Iraq invasion. And uh, he, was going though, to meet, I mean, he was apparently he going to meet with Chomsky after he got back from Afghanistan. So, so that's an but, interesting but, but, side wait, story. This is, this is an impossibility. You're telling me that some liberal pansy actually went to Afghanistan to fight for his country in a apparently, noble and just so. cause? Yes, mm. apparently so. I say unlike the brave Republican conservatives who uh, sit at home and type furiously right, on their right. keyboard. Uh, and get five deferments, for example, uh, out of uh, out of Vietnam, or get a cushy uh, deal through their uh, political connections through their through their family. So one of our listeners has <clears throat> posted a, a link uh, to a counterpunch article um, <clears throat> the, the, about this story. It just came out today, so we should link to that on our webpage um, about this Tillman story. And uh, by the way, to remind you that if you want to join in the chat room, uh, it's an AOL instant messaging chat room with the name Left Out. Two words, capital L, capital O, um, with a space between them. Um, and you can also give us a call at uh, 412-268-9728. So, um, yeah, those are two of the uh, two just very recent stories that are unfolding right now. Um, well, another... Um, uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Okay, another... Um, Another story that uh, that I was interested uh, to pursue um, here a bit, or another um, another thing that caught my interest uh, this week, uh, in particular, or late last week, and uh, and also over the weekend. Um, uh, recently, many of you may have noticed if you watch, um, if you ever see, for example, the Charlie Rose program, or if you watch uh, the Daily Show, or if you watch uh, Bill Maher, or a number of other um, number of other uh, sources, uh, uh, current current events discussion. Uh, Shows, um, or if you read the Washington Post uh, and the op-ed uh, article, which I'm going to mention in a moment, from the Washington Post this past Sunday, you may have noticed through many of these sources that suddenly the former National Security Advisor Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was uh, the National Security Advisor under President Carter, has been making a number of public statements and public appearances discussing uh, partly a, a book that he's written, which I haven't read, so I can't comment at all on the book. I don't know anything about it myself. Um, but he's been commenting on current affairs. And um, so when I caught him, I caught him on The Daily Show first, and then I've since watched. Uh, we have links on the leftout.info webpage uh, in our usual places. Uh, for today's program, we have links to a few uh, video clips from The Daily Show and from Charlie Rose in which uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski is talking about uh, the, well, particularly the uh, the Iraq war and the Bush administration's uh, failed foreign policy. And uh, the thing that struck me, the thing that absolutely, what I found absolutely striking was the inescapable sense of contrast between having an intelligent adult discuss foreign policy in a sane and sensible manner compared to this childish posturing 
that we get from the Bush administration, from right. W himself, from Condoleezza Rice, from Dick Cheney, from all of these clowns about how, you know, uh, we all we all know all of these things, you know, the, from the bring them on comments to mission accomplished to uh, to Condi's supercilious, haughty, disdainful, idiotic remarks about the Middle East and about the Iraq war to the c c continual tissue of lies and ideologically motivated nonsense. But the thing that is so shocking is to see an intelligent person speaking intelligently about foreign affairs it's astonishing. And whether you agree with everything he says or not, I don't always agree with everything uh, Brzezinski says, as a matter of fact. But the point is, is, is it's just the, the contrast is stark. Mm -hmm. So um, and, so this weekend, uh, he had a very interesting op-ed piece in the uh, Washington Post, which I wanted to bring to your attention. It's linked on the Left Out uh, 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 Info uh, webpage, and it's entitled uh, Terrorized by, quotes, War on Terror. And the subtitle is uh, is how a three word mantra has undermined America, and mm. I think he has quite a lot of good points. I want to read uh, some of them uh, to you um, before I get started doing that. Let me mention again, um, listeners as usual are welcome to phone us at four one two two six eight nine seven two eight, and we're also running uh, an open chat room. Uh, which is on AIM, left out, uh, two words, capital L, capital O, and you're welcome to join in there and uh, uh, discuss uh, uh, any of the topics, and we'll try to monitor that and bring that into, the, uh, bring that into our program. So here is uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, and I'll mention a few things, um, a few points, try to skim through a few points here of his article, a very interesting article. So it begins, The war on terror, in quotes, has created a culture of fear in America. The Bush administration's elevation of these three words into a national mantra since the horrific events of 9-11 has had a pernicious impact on American democracy, on America's psyche, and on the U.S. standing in the world. Using this phrase has actually undermined our ability to effectively confront the real challenges we face from fanatics who may use terrorism against us. The damage that these three words have done, a classic self-inflicted wound, is infinitely greater than any wild dreams entertained by the fanatical perpetrators of the 9-11 attacks when they, were, <clears throat> excuse me, when they were plotting against us in distant Afghan caves. The phrase itself is meaningless. It defines neither a geographic context nor, nor our presumed enemies. Terrorism is not an enemy but a technique of warfare, political intimidation through the killing of unarmed non-combatants. But the little secret here may be that the vagueness of the phrase was deliberately or instinctively calculated by its sponsors. Constant reference to a war on terror did accomplish one major objective. It stimulated the emergence of a culture of fear. Fear obscures reason, intensifies emotions, makes it easier for demagogic politicians to mobilize the public on behalf of the policy they want to pursue. The war of choice in Iraq could never have gained uh, the congressional support it got without the psychological linkage between the shock of 9-11 and the postulated existence of Iraqi weapons of mass destruction. Support for President Bush in the 2004 elections was also mobilized in part by the notion that a nation at war does not change its commander-in-chief commander in midstream. The sense of a pervasive sense uh, uh, of a pervasive but otherwise imprecise danger was thus channeled in a politically expedient direction by the mobilizing appeal of being at war. To justify the war on terror, the administration has lately crafted a false historical narrative that could even become a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
by claiming that its war is similar to the earlier U.S. struggles against Nazism and then Stalinism, parenthetically, while ignoring the fact that both Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia were first-rate military powers of status al-Qaeda neither has nor can achieve, the administration could be preparing the case for war with Iran. Such war would then plunge America into a protracted conflict spanning Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and also perhaps Pakistan. The culture of fear is like a genie that's been let out of the bottle. It acquires a life of its own and can become demoralizing. America today is not self-confident nation that not the self-confident nation that de- uh, and determined nation that responded to Pearl Harbor. Nor is it the America that heard from its leaders in another moment of crisis, the po- crisis, the powerful world, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nor is it the calm America that waged the Cold War with quiet persistence, despite the knowledge that a real war could be initiated abruptly within minutes and prompt the death of a hundred million Americans within just a few hours. We're now a divided, uncertain, and potentially very susceptible to panic in the event of another terrorist attack in the United States itself. This is the result of five years of almost continual national brainwashing on the subject of terror, quite unlike the more muted reactions of several other nations, Britain, Spain, Italy, Germany, Japan, to mention a few, that have also suffered painful terrorist attacks. In his latest justification for his war in Iraq, President Bush even claims absurdly that he has to continue waging it lest al-Qaeda cross the Atlantic to launch a war of terror here in the United States. Such fear-mongering reinforced by security entrepreneurs, the mass media, and the entertainment industry generates its own momentum. The terror entrepreneurs, usually described as experts on terrorism, are necessarily engaged in competition to justify their existence. Hence, their task is to convince the public that it faces new threats. That puts a premium on the presentation of credible scenarios of ever more horrifying acts of violence, sometimes even with blueprints for their implementation. That America has become insecure and more paranoid is hardly debatable. A recent study reported that in 2003, Congress identified 160 sites as potentially important national targets for would-be terrorists. With with lobbyists weighing in, by the end of that year, the list had grown to 1,849. By the end of 2004, to 28,360. By 2005, to 77,769. The National Database of Possible Targets now has some 300,000 items in it, including the Sears Target Tower in Chicago and an Illinois Apple and Pork Festival. Just last week here in Washington, on my way to visit a journalistic office, I had to pass through one of the absurd uh, of uh, the security checks that have proliferated in almost all of the privately owned office buildings in this capital and in New York City. A uniformed guard required me to fill out a form, show an ID, and in this case, explain in writing the purpose of my visit. Would a visiting terrorist indicate in writing that the purpose is to, quotes, blow up the building? Would the guard be able to arrest, uh, arrest such a self-confessing would-be suicide bomber? To make matters more absurd, large department stores with their crowds of shoppers do not have any comparable procedures, nor do concert halls or movie theaters, yet such security procedures, in quotes, have become routine, wasting hundreds of millions of dollars and further contributing to a siege mentality. Governments at every level, government at every level has stimulated the paranoia. Consider, for example, the electronic billboards over interstate highways urging motorists to, quotes, report suspicious activity, uh, parenthetically, drivers and turbans. 
Some mass media made their own contribution. The cable channels and print media found that horror scenarios attract audiences, while terror experts as consultants provide authenticity for apocalyptic visions fed to the American public. Hence the proliferation of programs with bearded terrorists as the central villains. Their general effect is to reinforce the sense of the unknown but lurking danger that is said to increasingly threaten the lives of all Americans. The entertainment industry has also jumped into the act, hence the TV serials and films in which evil characters have recognizable Arab features, sometimes highlighted by religious gestures that exploit public anxiety and stimulate Islamophobia. Arab facial stereotypes, particularly newspaper cartoons, have at times been rendered in a manner sadly reminiscent of the Nazi uh, anti-Semitic campaigns. Lately, even some college student organizations have become involved in such propagation, apparently oblivious to the menacing connection between the stimulation of racial and religious hatreds and unleashing of the unprecedented crimes of the Holocaust. The atmosphere generated by the war on terror has encouraged legal and political harassment of Arab Americans, who are generally loyal Americans, for conduct that has not been unique to them. A case in point is the recent harassment of the Council on American-Islamic Relations for its attempts to emulate, not very successfully, the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, AIPAC. Some House Republicans recently described CARE members as terrorist apologists who should not be allowed to use a Capitol meeting room for panel discussions. Social discrimination, for example, toward Muslim air travelers, has been also been an, its unintended byproduct. Not surprisingly, animus toward the United States, even among Muslims otherwise not particularly concerned with the Middle East, has intensified. While America's reputation as a leader in fostering constructive interracial and interreligious relations has suffered egregiously. The record is even more troubling in the area of civil rights. The culture of fear has bred intolerance, suspicion of foreigners, and the adoption of legal procedures that undermine fundamental notions of justice. Innocent until proven guilty has been diluted, if not undone, with some, even U.S. citizens, incarcerated for lengthy periods of time without effective and prompt access to due process. There is no known hard evidence that such excess has prevented significant acts of terrorism, and convictions for would-be terrorists of any kind have been few and far between. Someday, Americans will be ashamed of this record as they now have become of the earlier instances in the U.S. history of panic by the many prompting intolerance against the few. In the meantime, the war on terror has gravely damaged the United States internationally. For Muslims, the similarity between the rough treatment of Iraqi citizens by the U.S. military and of the Palestinians by the Israelis has prompted a widespread sense of hostility toward the United States in general. It's not the war on terror that angers Muslims watching the news on television. It's the victimization of Arab civilians, and the resentment is not limited to to Muslims. A recent BBC poll of 28,000 people in 27 countries that sought respondents' assessment of the role of states in international affairs resulted in Israel and the United States being rated in that order as the states with the most negative influence on the world. Alas, for some, that is the new axis of evil. This is truly sad. The events of 9-11 could have resulted in a truly global solidarity against extremism and terrorism. A global alliance of moderates, including Muslim ones, engaged in a deliberate campaign both to extirpate the specific terrorist networks and to terminate the political conflicts that spawn terrorism would have been uh, more productive than a demagogically proclaimed and largely solitary U.S. war on terrorism, uh, terror against Islamo-fascism. Only a confidently determined and reasonable American can promote genuine international security, which then leaves no political space for terrorism. Where is, the U- uh, where is the U.S. leader ready to say, enough of this hysteria, stop this paranoia? Even in the face of future terrorist attacks, the likelihood of which cannot be denied, let us show some sense, let us be true to our traditions. 
This is an op-ed piece by Zbigniew Brzezinski in the Washington Post this past Sunday, many points of which um, I agree with uh, quite strongly, which is why I chose to read it. I don't agree with all of his points. I rarely do. Um, but in, uh, I think, uh, the, the general drift, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a breath of fresh air and a lot of words that need saying and need saying, uh, over and over. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting point about, about, uh, the, uh, the, the inspections go on in, in these, the office buildings and stuff. <laughs> oh, of course, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't mention the, what happens on the air, airlines. Yeah, the airports. Which is another thing, which is, it seems like a gratuitous. In my opinion, um, it's just a maintaining, way of scaring a, maintaining people. a level of hysteria. Right, right. Absolutely nothing but maintaining a level of hysteria. So. I, I, f- I find it really objectionable. Um, well, uh, if you want to give us a call, uh, call us at, uh, 412-268-9728. Or you can join the chat room at uh, Left Out, capital L E F capital L E F T lower space capital O U T, um, and uh, that. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't have anything to add to that. No, um, I think uh, it stands. It stands on its own. I mean, I think it's a very. Uh, very well considered, and if we see him, his television appearances recently have been much more directly to do with foreign affairs and foreign policy rather than uh, this kind of general critique of the way in which the Bush administration has used uh, used the 9-11 attacks for uh, use and abuse, I should say, uh, for political purposes. So it's a little bit of a different, uh, yeah, a little bit of a different emphasis. But I know that uh, you had, uh, let's see, some other Yeah, I had some other things to talk about. There was a, um, mm. so changing this topic uh, slightly, there was a, um, uh, <clears throat> a guy named Alfred McCoy. He was a professor of history at the University of Madison, Wisconsin. The University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, he wrote a book recently, uh, came out in 2006, A Question of Torture, CIA Interrogation mm. from the Cold War to the War on Terror. And um, we were unable to get him to interview uh, on the program because of um, conflicts, but scheduling conflicts. But we do have a clip of a um, interview he did on a program called Counterspin. Uh, Noah, if you could um, play that clip, and then we can uh, we can discuss it later on. I think it's an excellent. He's very uh, he's being interviewed in this clip by um, uh, uh, Steve Rendell of uh, of fair of counterspin. So go ahead, let's hear the clip of the interview with Alfred McCoy. Well, when the subject is torture, whether it's discussion of policy by pundits and officials or a dramatic presentation such as Fox TV's 24, sooner or later it seems the issue of the ticking time bomb comes up. Torture proponents are fond of invoking a scenario where good guys are holding bad guys who they know have information that can stop a catastrophe and that information can only be gotten by torture. Fox's show 24 is based on the ticking time bomb premise. Well, such vignettes pull together a lot of assumptions about torture, starting with the unlikely scenario of a ticking time bomb. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, your words are exactly right. Scenario and assumptions. First of all, this has never happened. This is one of those rare triumphs of academic philosophy in the field of public policy. Thirty years ago, a philosopher named Michael Walzer published an article dealing with the old philosophical conundrum of the dirty hands in an obscure academic journal called uh, Philosophy and Public Policy. And he talked in the abstract about a politician who's faced with a bomb that's going to go off in 24 hours, and what does he do? And Walter made the argument, hypothetically, that the ethically correct thing for the politician to do would be to 
minute, being fully aware of the moral choice to order torture. Uh, his academic acolyte, uh, Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz, picked up that idea, and both here and in Israel, he trumpeted that idea and uh, made it quite popular. And so when 9-11 happened, Dershowitz started appearing on 60 Minutes, writing in the L.A. Times. Uh, he was an omnipresence across the country, arguing for the need to torture based upon the ticking time bomb scenario. It is a philosophical exercise. It's never happened. And when you actually examine it closely, which very few people do, it doesn't really work. First of all, let's, let's look at it carefully. Okay, the terrorist has set the timer on a, a time bomb, and between the, the setting of the timer and the bomb's burst, he, by some accident, gets picked up by some police or intelligence, okay? And they know everything about him. They know that among 14 million people in New York, he's the one. They know that he set the bomb. They know the bomb's in Times Square. They know that it's going to go off. They know everything except this one little tiny little bit of information they have to get from him through torture. All of that is a whole series of linked assumptions. And then comes the greatest assumption of all. If you've got one shot at this guy, the assumption is the most effective way to get the information out of him is to torture. And that's a complete assumption. And that's not borne out by the facts. Facts that we know from experienced interrogators who tell us torture, coercion doesn't work. Well, that brings me to the second question, which I think you've just started to answer, and that is another myth that pervades recent discussions of torture is that it is effective in securing reliable information. As you mentioned, syndicated columnist Alan Dershowitz, but also Newsweek's columnist uh, Jonathan Alter, each pointed to a 1995 story wherein torture was supposedly effective in revealing a plot to blow up several airliners in mid-air. Tell us a little bit about that story. Sure. What happened was this. The Pope was visiting Manila. Philippine police were doing a standard security sweep in downtown Manila. They picked up a, an Arab visitor, Abdul Hakim Murad, and they found some bomb-making equipment in an apartment in downtown Manila. They supposedly tortured him for six months, extracted information, that supposedly stopped the so-called Bochinka plot of setting bombs on a dozen trans-Pacific airliners and killing 4,000 people. The only trouble with that entire scenario, which, as you said, Dershowitz and uh, Alter and other torture advocates have put forward, the only trouble with it is it didn't happen that way. Philippine police got everything they needed to know about the bomb plot in the first 60 seconds of the raid. They got his laptop with the bomb plot on the laptop. The torture was all done gratuitously, basically to make him say what they wanted him to say when he appeared on a witness stand in New York. It was all incidental. It didn't produce anything. The question is, what kind of information does torture produce? Well, we actually have a very public incident. At the start of the war on terror, the United States captured the man who was running a, an al-Qaeda training camp inside Af Afghanistan. Uh, he was turned over to the CIA, rendered to Egypt, and he was tortured by Egyptians and by CIA, we believe, brutally, savagely. And he started talking about how Saddam Hussein's government had trained al-Qaeda in weapons of mass destruction. That information was typed up, stamped with the rubric of top secret, placed on the desk of Colin Powell, and he stood up in front of the United Nations in February 2003 and said that he had verified intelligence that Saddam Hussein's government had trained al-Qaeda in weapons of mass destruction. Well, that man, Ibn al-Sheikh al-Libi, was a fabricator. He said that because it stopped the torture. A year later, the CIA withdrew all information from Libby and branded him a fabricator. Former Secretary of State Powell is now deeply embarrassed by that incident. The Senate Intelligence Committee has reviewed it and concluded irrefutably 
that Ibn al-Sheikh al-Libi was tortured to lie, into lying. Well, the abuses at Abu Ghraib were presented to the U.S. public as horrifying but exceptional. But from the very subtitle of your book, CIA Interrogation from the Cold War to the War on Terror, you're saying that the U.S., particularly the CIA, has employed torture in the past in specific situations. In April 2004, when the Abu Ghraib photographs were broadcast by CBS television, most people looked at that most iconic of all those photographs of the Iraqi standing on the box, hooded, his arms extended, and fake electrical wires hanging from his arms. Most people looked at that and said, oof, creeps, what's this? William Sapphire said creeps. I looked at that photograph and I saw the two telltale signs of CIA interrogation techniques, CIA psychological torture. He was hooded for sensory disorientation, his arms were extended for self-inflicted pain. Since then, I've actually been able to go through the Army Criminal Investigation Command of about 1,600 photos taken inside Abu Ghraib prison, and photograph after photograph, there are three things, okay? They're short shackling, long shackling, arms extended for self-inflicted pain. They're hooded for sensory disorientation, and then there's that third and most recent innovation, the veritable perfection of the CIA's paradigm from Guantanamo, and that's the attack on Arab cultural identity through uh, sexuality, gender, and fear of dogs. And you can see that third dimension in those photographs as well. So hundreds of photographs are very consistent. All right, just three techniques over and over ad nauseum, not random, bizarre, erratic techniques that you expect from sort of seven twisted minds. No, very consistent. And, and reaching right back for over 50 years right into the CIA manuals on interrogation from the Cold War. Well, recently in The New Yorker, Jane Mayer reported that a group of military interrogators and human rights representatives, led by U.S. Army Brigadier General Patrick Finnegan, met with the producers of the Fox show 24 to get them to rethink the show's portrayals of torture because, quote, the show promoted unethical and illegal behavior and had adversely affected the training and performance of real American soldiers, close quote. In your book... You suggest that journalism can have a positive role to play, that in fact media have sometimes been more helpful than Congress in spurring investigations. Sure. One thing that media has done is it's given a voice to retired FBI counterintelligence officials who will tell you that the tough stuff doesn't work. There are two American interrogation doctrines. One is coercive interrogation torture, developed by the CIA, propagated for the past 50 years. The other doctrine is one discovered by the U.S. Marine Corps in World War II that I call empathetic interrogation. A man named Major Moran found that by interviewing Japanese captives in the Pacific, speaking to them in their language, Japanese, establishing a human bond, he could get complete order of battle intelligence from them in 24 hours. In 24 hours, the most difficult kind of intelligence to get. The FBI employed those tactics in the decades since World War II when they ran our counterintelligence function. And this doctrine of empathetic interrogation works. For example, in 1998, in the East Africa bombings by al-Qaeda, the FBI did their job. They picked up the guys, they established bonds, they confessed, they gave some of our most reliable intelligence on al-Qaeda. Furthermore, they were put into federal courts, they were tried, convicted, and they're now in federal penitentiary. Empathetic interrogation works. Coercive interrogation, i.e. torture, doesn't work. The historical record is very clear on that point. 
So that was uh, Alfred McCoy, who's a professor of history at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, being interviewed by Steve Rendell in Counterspin February 23rd. Uh, he's written a book called The Question of Torture, CIA Interrogation from the Cold War to the War on Terror. So, Danny, what do you think about McCoy's Well, I uh, think it's McCoy's just, I just really liked, it, liked his, his, uh, his way of presenting the facts in such an unequivocal way and, and the refutation of of the ticking time bomb scenario, this very naive um, sort of thing, with, with picking it apart piece by piece. And, of course, I, I'm always uh, glad to hear Dershowitz's, um, <laughs> uh, be, hear him refuted because I, I generally find myself in, in a great disagreement with him, and, and um, he's a very influ- influential person. It's nice to hear McCoy uh, ripping him apart like that. Um, you have any comments about it yourself? Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way as you. Uh, this is uh, one of the standard uh, standard justification people like Bill Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly on, uh, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, constantly bringing out this is their standard thing uh, amongst many, but he has a few a few favorite uh, tropes, and this is certainly one of them. Um, it gets tiresome after a while to uh, to to put to listen to this uh, not to listen to this nonsense with no with no kind of you know. Uh, uh, opposition or any kind of intelligent discussion of any kind, because someone like Alfred McCoy would never be put on on television, not even yeah. on CNN or something. No uh, mass there, media. There is a new movie, uh, The Ghost of Abu Gra- Abu Ghraib, which is produced by right? Rory Kennedy. I, I didn't put a, I forgot to put a link to it here, but it's playing uh, this next few weeks on uh, HBO. Uh-huh. Okay. And they, they interview him and they talk about the, whole, the whole way that uh, I, I actually haven't seen it yet, but I've got it on my TiVo, so I'll watch it. Later, I don't but know. yeah, but um, no, but the one, you know, there are lots of philosophical conundrums and philosophical problems, you know, facing a democracy, right? What do you, how do you, how do you reconcile civil liberties with, with you know, the need for law enforcement, and, and these things we have to cope with. But here's a case where we don't have to deal with this this thing because it torture doesn't work. Okay, it's just, a, it's just a, we don't have to decide between these two things, torture or no torture, what we need torture because of this, what we don't want it because of this moral implication. No, it's not like that. Everything is all, is the same way. There is no conflict. Yeah. You shouldn't do it. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there, there are many versions of that general story. You could look at torture in particular. Uh, you could look more broadly, for example, uh, you know, the constant uh, claims, and you know, we're going to beat the, uh, our enemies into submission and so on. While at the same time, everyone, you know, on the flip side of it, we're all around saying they'll never, you know, no matter what they do to us, they'll never overcome us. They'll, they'll never defeat us, you right. know, no matter what happens. Well, you know, guess what? That's what the other side is saying, too. Right. And they're just as, uh, they have just the same willpower and just the same determination as right. you do. You know, this is, it's, it's incredible. Part of it is based on a kind of, um, a kind of a cultural arrogance, if you will, of looking down on the inferior races and you're going to just you know beat them up and put them in their place and make them cough up the goods and they'll cower in fear like in a comic the only thing i can think of is like a comic book it reminds me of a typical sort of comic book scenario and uh and this is uh uh, certainly gains a lot of traction amongst the wing nuts on on right wing Republican talk radio, which is pretty much all the talk radio there is, mm-hmm. um, yeah. hammering away on this uh, on this uh, on this nonsense uh, day after day after day after day. But it is it does relate back to your your um, mm-hmm. comment about um, Brzezinski, where the, the idea of an intelligent discussion. A foreign right. policy that's just almost missing from it's just, our... It's just absurd. I um, mean, uh, Brzezinski, I saw another clip, which I don't have linked, um, in which he was commenting on a recent statement by President Bush that the difference between them and us is that we're driven by love and they're driven by hate. Okay, what, yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a preposterous statement. It's unbelievable. But, you know, it's a standard, it's a conventional thing to dehumanize and uh, your opponent. 
but it but that's fine to do in a sense if you're you know know what you're doing but the thing is if it if it blinds you to reality if it mm-hmm. causes you gives you an excuse to just switch off don't care you know they're just evil doers doing evil that's the end of the story there's nothing more to it than that nothing can be understood nothing can be dealt with in any means you know there are criminals everywhere but it's a very small minority i mean the number mm-hmm. of, of people who were involved in perpetrating the 911 attacks for example is minuscule in fact if we were to believe the uh the US government uh in fact the it's so minuscule it's in fact one uh, all of the uh terrorist attack for the last 15 years were uh, carried out by none other than Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, <laughs> right. this kind of uh, this the schlub yes. uh, from, uh, from Pakistan. Uh, which city did they find him in? I can't recall right off the top of my head. Uh, you know, the schlub they arrested who has been personally beheaded Daniel Pearl, was behind all the 9-11 attacks, was behind the World Trade Center attack, behind the coal, uh, coal attack, behind every, every uh, Indonesia a terrorist oh, bombing yeah, in right, Bali. Right. Uh, the guy is amazing. And so the good news, though, is the war on terror is over because we've arrested Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. We've tortured him. He's confessed to every crime that is open on the books, every single mm-hmm. terrorist-related terrorist right. crime in the last 15 years. It was all done by, it turns out it's all done by one man. So why don't we just close up shop, okay? It's uh, end we of got the story. Him. That's it. Terrorism worked. I mean, excuse me, torture worked. <laughs> right? They tortured him. They got a confession. Uh, uh, what more do you want? That's all there is, uh, all there is to the story. So it's interesting how the uh, media, much less uh, particularly faux news, uh, doesn't draw the evident conclusion that since he confessed to every single terrorist act uh, in the last 15 years, that indeed the war on terrorism is therefore mm-hmm. over. Right. Incredible. Uh, how yeah. The, so um, so it's, a preposterous, uh, it's a preposterous situation we're in. So I had another little topic to bring up here. Um, <clears throat> you want to give us a call, it's 412-268-9728. Or join our chat room at uh, left out, capital L, lowercase EFT, space, capital O, lowercase UT, as are the name of our chat room. Um, and um, there's a, um, a really nice, I've been reading of this Glenn Greenwald. We've mentioned him before here. He's a, he's a, he's a blogger. Uh, now he's, he's on, on salon.com yeah. now. He's a very good writer. He's a lawyer. Right. Uh, very rights good lawyer. writer. Very, very, and he, he picks up. Uh, you know, he's, he's very um, solid reasoning and, and uh, clear information. It, it, <clears throat> very honest, very direct, very good writer. Um, and he's got lots, lots of great observations, and every day he writes a post pr- pr- pretty much every day. Anyway, last uh, few days he's been talking about um, something he noticed about. There was a program, uh, it, was a, um, it was a discussion on TV on, um, I think, uh, MSNBC, Chris Matthews. Um, had a discussion with about four or five Beltway pundits about this uh, the attorney scandal, and um, so he put a link to a YouTube uh, so you can watch it on his web on his web page and you can watch this discussion. Then he just goes and dissects the whole thing and the way the, sort of the attitude that they exude there among these Beltway um, pundits, and um, just a lot of stuff to observe. And he he really goes into detail and, and just tears it apart. The, the whole way they sort of joke about this really serious matter. And act like it's sort of funny and, and humorous, and it's nothing more than a game. Um, but the other thing that, that that keeps coming up is, and um, this has come up in a lot of different. I mean, not just that one program, but it seems to be a, a meme that's taken over in the punditocracy. Is this notion that people don't want investigations, that they don't want Congress to investigate the you know the scandals, um, and these guys on this 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 uh, 
this program. As Chris Matthews show said that it's been. Uh, Bob noticed it uh, during one of Cokie Roberts. Uh, yeah, Cokie uh, Roberts was on the other morning, uh, and the and the the uh, the line fed to her by Renee Montaigne was, uh, "Oh, how the Democrats are overstepping and they're they're uh, conducting investigations and working on problems that Americans don't care about." Hmm. Okay. okay, right. Well, one of the things <laughs> that Glenn points out in one of his posts was that, uh, <laughs> in fact, that's completely false. That the Americans do care about this, and in several recent polls, there's been a, you know vast majority of 60 to 70 percent people want, uh, of Americans want Congress to investigate and want them to continue to investigate all these all these scandals so but it's the beltway pundits who don't want that they they don't want they want their I don't know what it is but they want their position in power their connection to power to be preserved and they don't want to see the whole thing come unraveled which it seems to be seems to be happening before our eyes in slow motion so um, I recommend uh, to our listeners you should check out Glenn Greenwald and his post uh, about this and other other things as well. So um, what else do you want to talk about, Bob? Do you have anything else that's – well, there is actually – I have more things here to blab about. Um, go we for go it. on talking about uh, several other topics. Um, there's a um, – there's been discussion. This is a little bit dated. Last week's – it's one of last week's stories. So there was a an ad – posted on YouTube, viewed by 2 million people, um, for Obama. And uh, it's, it's, it's basically they took the, um, the Apple ad from 1984, which um, portrays the IBM PC as being Big Brother, and that the Apple is coming along and there's a bunch of drone-like people watching a huge screen, um, uh, the, the, the presentation of the, Apple, the IBM computer or something, and then this Apple... You know, icon comes as a woman with a the hammer from the hammer throw in the Olympics, and she runs in there and she throws this gigantic hammer into the screen and explodes, and all the zombies are looking at this thing in total amazement that you know they've been this 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 thing has you know this revolutionary thing has happened to break through the zombie you know the, the mind control. Anyway, they took this and they modified that ad and they replaced the you know the, the what was on the screen uh, instead of being an IBM PC, they replaced it by. Um, Hillary Clinton talking about the conversations she wants to have with America, and uh, so this I got watched you know millions of times, and um, there's been a lot of discussion and various people saying that well this is uh, you know this is the way it's going to happen in the future. Oh well, the other well to finish the story up. Well, who did the ad? Well, it turns out some guy who was employed by a consulting firm did it uh, for campaigns, did it in his spare time at home on his own PC and posted it. So it wasn't actually done by any official campaign at all. It was just some guy who did this. Um, and the people are speculating about what this means about the future of campaigns and, and stuff. And, and my comment is, you know, uh, I don't really see what, why this is significant at all. I mean, my question is, and maybe Bob can explain this to me or maybe our listeners can, can tell me, why is this something that's going to influence people at all? I mean, it's an entertaining ad to watch. It's well done. But why is, that, why is such an obvious fluff piece, which has absolutely no content about the policies of either candidate, yeah, so that's uh, the, that's why the is that going to Why should process. that influence anybody? Yeah, it's hard to say. Let's hope that it doesn't. Um, so this, uh, this is a link on our, on our page to this story. Um, uh, Krugman has been discussing this as well in several recent columns. Um, there's a um, 
Right. He points out, for example, uh, in the in the about the Edwards campaign, he, Edwards has put forth a, uh, a substantial, detailed health care proposal. None of the other candidates have actually done that, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a single payer system with a way, a proposed way of evolving a current system, gradually by degrees. An into, actual into plan. An actual plan. Um, Instead, it's all about the horse race. It's about you know who threw who a dirty look and uh, whatever they're wearing and how they look in a swimsuit and uh, all this other yeah. uh, other all this other preposterous nonsense. I have another. Um, before we finish up, we have a few minutes remaining. Um, you're welcome as ever to give us a ring on the last few minutes. Um, I came across an interesting um, article. So thanks for that, Danny. Came across a, an interesting article last uh, that was released last Thursday by the uh, the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, uh, regarding uh, regarding the um, use of what are called IEDs or other kinds of improvised explosive devices or other devices that are used against U.S. troops uh, in Iraq. And as you know, the uh, Bush administration liars have recently been uh, trying to generate the impression that most of that weaponry is coming from Iran in a secret plot to uh, to uh, to uh, for Iran to attack the United States and Iraq. So it turns out that the GAO report on this, uh, and I'll quote you here, says, uh, IEDs made with looted munitions cause about half of all U.S. combat fatalities and casualties in Iraq and killing, killed hundreds of Iraqis and contribute to increasing instability, challenging U.S. strategic goals in Iraq. In other words, most of the weaponry that's being used against American soldiers, fully half, according to the Government Accountability Office, were uh, due to the uh, unsecured munitions that were looted after the invasion of Iraq. And you will recall, and I will recall very vividly, mm-hmm. that uh, Rumsfeld, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Field Marshal von Rumsfeld, who was in charge of this operation, decided, uh, we thought it was all very entertaining, that, oh, well, this is just as what happens in a democracy. He thought all this looting and, and so on that went on after the invasion with the anarchic situation that emerged there was just like fun practically in fact I recall mm-hmm. him signing he he uh, he um, autographed looted uh, uh, goods that were looted by American soldiers I saw him signing a street sign on television that was uh, presented to him by an American soldier but oh, setting loot, that, that aside, that's American looting well, that's not the main mm-hmm. th- that's not what no the but the point is he was from, endorsing yeah. looting right I remember specifically okay. there was a which there was is a against cache. international law and then there, there were was huge a cache caches of, of arms one in particular in al however you pronounce that Q-A-Q-A-A, uh, there were 380 tons of conventional weaponry and explosives went missing. And we commented on this and left out at the time and lots of other places uh, commented on it, but mostly on the fringes, uh, which was the, the shocking incompetence and disregard for the safety of American soldiers. Fully 50% mm-hmm. of, the, of those attacks are due to, these, uh, due to this looted weaponry. All right, that uh, finishes our program for today. Uh, thank you all for listening to Left Out. Thank you to, for, to producer Hank for producing, uh, excuse me, producer Noah, pardon me, for producing today's program. And uh, we will return. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Is producer Noah around? Are we still on the air? Are we still on the air? I don't know. I guess we might be. Producer Hello, Noah hasn't Noah. come in yet. So, um, no, Somebody should no get instant produ- music. No instant music. Okay, so producer, go get producer Noah so we can shut <laughs> off the uh, show. But uh, <laughs> I guess we're still on the air. We're still on the air. So, um, well, uh, yeah. Coming up next is a program. I think it's after the bell. Uh, it's a Wall Street program produced by uh, the CMU students and producer Noah's there. Noah's there now, and so we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>